Well, congregation, let's turn in our copies of God's Word to Exodus chapter 25. Exodus chapter 25 is found on page 83 in the Bibles provided. Exodus chapter 25. Now, uh, I've, I feel like I should make a comment. A uh, number of you have, comment, have mentioned to me that last week when I was reading uh, that uh, the translation I ha- had said tanned ram skins and uh, the Pew translation uh, had, uh, had uh, porpoise skins. Uh, I, it wasn't my porpoise to uh, make any confusion, uh, so I'm sorry about that. Um, the, there are differences in translation. I, it's just been my habit to read from the ESV if you're wondering what translation I've been reading from. Uh, and so I'm reading from that uh, this morning. But uh, uh, let's do give our attention now as I read from God's holy and inerrant word. Exodus chapter 25, uh, I'll begin reading in verse 10. Before I do that, though, I do want to remind us we are in Exodus. Uh, God's brought his people out of, out of Egypt, uh, and yet he did that not just so that they might you know, go on, do, do their own thing, but so that he might dwell with them. So we're in this section speaking of God dwelling with his people and talking about the various uh, elements of the tabernacle, that dwelling where God would have with his people. Here we, we read and of uh, the ark that God had uh, constructed. We'll read for, both from this chapter and also from chapter 37 uh, regarding the ark uh, of the covenant. Listen now for God's holy and inerrant word. They shall make an ark of acacia wood, two cubits and a half shall be its length, a cubit and a half its breadth, and a cubit and a half its height. You shall overlay it with pure gold. Inside and outside you shall overlay it, and you shall make make on it a molding of gold around it. You shall cast four rings of gold for it, and put them on its four feet, two rings on the one side of it, and two rings on the other side of it. You shall make poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. And you shall put the poles into the rings on the sides of the ark to carry the ark by them. The poles shall remain in the rings of the ark. They shall not be taken from it. And you shall put into the ark the testimony that I shall give you. You shall make a mercy seat of pure gold. Two cubits and a half shall be its length and a cubit and a half its breadth. And you shall make two cherubim of gold, of hammered work shall you make them, on the two ends of the mercy seat. Make one cherub on the one end, and one cherub on the other end. Of one piece with a mercy seat shall you make the cherubim on its two ends. The cherubim shall spread out their wings above, overshadowing the mercy seat with their wings. Their faces one to another toward the mercy seat shall the faces of the cherubim be. And you shall put the mercy seat on top of the ark, and in the ark shall you put the testimony that I shall give you. There I will meet with you, and from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim that are on the ark of the testimony, I will speak with you about all that I will give you in commandment for the people of Israel." Turning ahead to chapter 37, the first nine verses. Bezalel made the ark of acacia wood. Two cubits and a half was its length, a cubit and a half its breadth, and a cubit and a half its height. And he overlaid it with pure gold inside and outside and made a molding of gold around it. And he cast for it four rings of gold for its four feet, two rings on its one side and two rings on its other side. And he made poles of acacia wood and overlaid them with gold and put the poles into the rings on the sides of the ark to carry the ark. And he made a mercy seat of pure gold. Two cubits and a half was its length and a cubit and a half its breadth. 
And he made two cherubim of gold. He made them of hammered work on the two ends of the mercy seat, one cherub on the one end and one cherub on the other end. Of one piece with the mercy seat, he made the cherubim on its two ends. The cherubim spread out their wings above, overshadowing the mercy seat with their wings. With their faces one to another toward the mercy seat were the faces of the cherubim. So ends the reading of God's word. Let's pray for his blessing upon it. Lord, we thank you that your word is holy. Lord, forgive us. We are unholy men and women. I am an unholy man. And so what right have we to deal with such precious and glorious things? And yet we recognize our worthiness is not in ourselves. Lord, overshadow us. Lord, that you would display your glory. Lord, that we would see the face of Jesus Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen. Well, friends, if you were describing construction of a new house, a place where you and your family would live, what would you start with? How would you start your description? Would you describe it uh, maybe in the order that you'd imagine yourself walking into it once it was finished? You know, this is where the front por- how the front porch is going to be. Uh, then you describe the entryway, the hallway. Uh, then you go on each room as you would go to it if you were walking into the home fully built. Uh, that's one way. Another way might be to describe it in the order in which you would build it. Uh, you could start with the foundation, the dim- dimensions, the materials that you would use, and go from the bottom to the top. Or if you were describing a house where you're going to live, you might think of what are the rooms that you're going to see as you're waking up in the morning and going through and finding each uh, uh, useful part of the house. Uh, You know, you're starting your bedroom, then you talk about the bathroom, then you talk about the kitchen, uh, so on and so forth, however you might use your house. Well, friends, there are limitless ways that you might do it, limitless orders in which you could describe it. And whichever order you choose would reveal something not, not just about the house, but about you and your priorities, and what you find interesting, and what you love, and want to talk about, about your house. Is, it, is your house uh, to be impressive and welcoming to guests? Maybe that's the thing that you're trying to convey. Or is it to be a secure and long-lasting building? Or is it to be a pleasant place for everyday living? Uh, well, God's description of his building, of his home, his dwelling place, starts not with the exterior working inward, and neither does it start from the bottom working its way to the top. God starts with what was central. He starts with a piece of furniture that was central not only to Old Testament worship, but that reveals what must be central to our worship and theology today as Christians. This is a passage that speaks of what should be central to us. We must start at the center, and that is starting with God's sovereignty holiness, and mercy. Start, dear ones, with God's sovereignty, holiness, and mercy. Why? Why start with a box and its cover? Uh, God is giving Moses instructions for the tabernacle, and he begins by commanding a specific piece of furniture to be built, uh, this ark that I've read about. Uh, Notice uh, with me, uh, you probably noticed this in the reading, it came in two pieces. Verse 10, they shall make an ark. Verse 17, you shall make a mercy seat. 
Uh, Chapter 37, uh, I read that because uh, not only did God give the instructions, but God also records that they they did the thing. They actually made it. So we find Bezalel made the ark, and he made the mercy seat there in chapter 37. Uh, That is to say, of all the tabernacle, it's furnishing the priesthoods, all their adornments. This piece that we are studying this morning had pride of place. This is what God starts with, and it is from this point, which orients all the others, from this point that you begin to move outward. And and that might seem at first puzzling because if the tabernacle is a dwelling place for God, why focus on this piece of furniture? Why even have this piece of furniture at all? Uh, Which of our homes, you might ask, has an ark in it? Well, to understand that, we have to know what an ark is. What is an ark? Well, the word itself is archaic. Uh, It means a chest or a box. Uh, Genesis uh, 50, 26, uh, uh, the same word there is translated as a coffin, and that's because it's a a box where Joseph's empalmed body was placed. Um, But ultimately, it's just a box. Uh, You probably have boxes in your home. Uh, If you have a cedar chest or even if you have a storage bin, you have an ark more or less decorated. It is here, a box. And but before they can be as, uh, but if they can be as common as that, why would God have us focus on this one? Well, it is because this box doubled as the throne of God. It is in connection with this piece of furniture that God would manifest his presence. He says right here in this passage, chapter 25, verse 22, there I will meet with you. And from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim that are on the ark, God God says, this is where my presence will be manifested. Not in it, but above it. This is why God started here. God is emphasizing, uh, even from his first instructions, that the tabernacle is not just an attention getter for the people of Israel to have in the wilderness, like some carnival, come out and see uh, this wild thing they have out here. Oh, no, the tabernacle, uh, just like the temple after it, was not just to be another wonder of the world, as if the gold and the precious materials were something that they were to have as their primary focus. No, this was constructed for the sole purpose of God manifesting his presence with his people. I will be a God to you and you will be my people and I will dwell with you. He says, there, I will meet with you. And so you find this uh, piece of furniture, this box, this ark, uh, is, is, is variously described in the covenant history that follows. Second uh, Timothy 19.5, we find uh, there, God is enthroned above the cherubim. Uh, the cherubim being those creatures that were on top of the, the, the cover of the ark. We'll talk about that in a moment. Or Joshua 3, uh, verses 14 to 16, when, when the feet of those that were bearing the ark touched the Jordan River, it's, that's when its waters stopped flowing. Or Joshua 6, when the ark and the people encircled the city of Jericho, that's when its, its mighty walls tumbled down. Or 1 Kings 5, men of Ashdod were afflicted with tumors. Why? Because they were disrespecting the ark of God in their midst. So this box is important because God chose for it to be, for for God's throne to be shown forth. It was from here that God was going to manifest his rule over all the earth. This is where heaven, we might say, touched earth. Now, of course, 
As soon as we say that, we, we've got to recognize God is spirit. He is everywhere present. Uh, he, and yet he was uh, putting symbolism. He was making this as a picture for the people of Israel so that they might know that his, his sovereignty and presence and holiness were on display. That is the value of this box. And all the details then of this box emphasize and elaborate on this main point. And so let's look at those details. Let's, let's study this ark as God intended it. It was a picture. It was something uh, for, for Israel to be thinking about, not just to think about the, the niceness of the gold and things like that, but to know better the glory of their God who is dwelling with them. And so we're going to study uh, here the, the, the details uh, of the, the ark, the mer- its mercy seat. We're going to look at its materials, uh, its decoration, its contents, its transport, uh, and uh, its use. And lastly, as a warning to us, its abuse in subsequent history. And we'll, we'll go through each of those in turn. And so first, let's see its materials and decoration. Materials and decoration. A God said to make an ark of acacia wood. Uh, He specified its dimensions and added, you shall overlay it with pure gold inside and outside. So like Noah's ark long before, where God gave exact specifications of what he wanted, so he does here. Uh, This is quite the opposite of the golden calf, where it was man's best idea, man's invention. No, this was God commanding this ark to be made in this way. And this ark was made of a strong wood, acacia, uh, for rigidity and durability. And it was completely covered with gold. Now, Gold, I I don't need to remind you, is, is a most precious metal. Gold is a delight to the eyes. It is easily worked into thin sheets as would be necessary to plate the surface of this box. Pure gold, pure gold does not rust or tarnish. Notice that it was covered inside and out. It was not as some decorative chests that are gilded with gold on the outside but are inside are unfinished and plain. No, even the insides, even those parts that no human see, no human would see after its construction, even these were to be beautiful. And it had a molding or a decoration around it. Uh, we're, we're not told explicitly what it looked like. Uh, and so I know some of you may have you know, pictures in your head. Maybe you watched Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark or, or, or there in your Bible. You might have a, a, a study illustration. I think uh, while, while in their details, some of those might be speculative, but in general, the, the shape and appearance is, is, is going to be pretty accurate because the detail that's given here. Um, its lid was even more ornate. Uh, verse 17, the mercy seat was of pure gold. Uh, of one piece with it were two cherubim, angelic figures with wings spread to overshadow it. Now these cherubim, these, these are, are, are figures familiar from the book of Genesis. Uh, cherubim, uh, first mentioned in the Bible, were to guard the way back to Eden. And so they stood on the ark to guard or, or overshadow God's glorious throne, to, to in some ways, remind, remind us, as we're going to see throughout the book of, uh, throughout the, this, these illustrate, or, uh, specifications for the tabernacle, that God, the way to access God is guarded. And yet these were oriented toward one another, and their faces were to be looking down as though they were looking through the cover, through this, uh, this cover of the ark, into the box on which they stood. 
Now, some theologians uh, see a connection here to 1 Peter 1.12. I, I want to be cautious with this, uh, but uh, some see a connection uh, where the apostle is writing of the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. These cherubim had the figure of looking into this box. And friends, if we are to look into this box, we see beauty. We see majesty. And that's just the wrapping. <laughs> uh, you know, one of the, one of the uh, unexpected phenomenons of our internet age is the proliferation of uh, unbo- unboxing videos. You, you know what I'm talking about? You know, you can hop on YouTube, find one of them. And it's, it, what it is, it's just, it's just people opening up boxes. You know, all they're doing is they're removing the wrapping, uh, they're, 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 they're opening up what, what might be the, the, the sleekest tech gadget that's come out, or our kids opening up amazingly wrapped uh, birthday, birthday gifts, uh, or, you know, it's, it's unboxing videos, that's what it is. And yet this, this is a gloriously wrapped box. This is what we are looking at, and that's just the wrapping. And so uh, even though it's not always... Our experience, it is nevertheless our expectation that what, what's inside should correspond to what's outside. And so if God chose to wrap something in such extravagant coverings as gold with moldings and cherubim, then what's inside must be very precious, even if it might not immediately be so to us, it is indeed to God. And so let's look into these things. So moving from its materials and decoration, let's look at its contents. This passage tells us the ark contained the Ten Commandments. But the New Testament also mentions two additional items which were housed in the ark. Uh, Hebrews 9, 4, and 5 says, The ark of the covenant covered with, with, on all sides with gold, in which was a golden urn holding the manna and Aaron's staff that budded and the tablets of the covenant. So these first two uh, are additional con- contents. They, they are mentioned, by the way, in Exodus sixteen thirty three to 34 and Numbers seventeen ten. So it's not just that that came out of nowhere in the New Testament. Those were mentioned before. And yet they underscore what we have already seen about the ark is that this box was to function as the local place where God was manifesting his presence. Uh, Exodus 16.33, And Moses said to Aaron, Take the jar and put an omer of manna in it and place it before the Lord. And so this, this box was to manifest that God is with us. This is where you find his presence. And so the manna and Aaron's staff were placed in the ark there because that, that's where God was. Uh, though highest heaven cannot contain him, uh, he was giving a sign to the people that he was with them. And the manna and Aaron's staff signified his provision and rule of them. But in in this original description in chapter 25 of Exodus, uh, the ark was primarily to hold what? The two tablets of the testimony, the Ten Commandments. Exodus 25, 16, and you shall put into the ark the testimony that I shall give you. And that's essentially repeated in verse 21. Uh, these, were, these tablets were, were two stones on which the Ten Commandments were written, front and back, uh, with the very finger of God, or at least that's the original tablets. Uh, those original ones were destroyed by Moses when he came down from the mountain and saw the idolatry of the people. And so what was actually put into the ark were the copies that God commanded Moses to make. These were called the tablets of the testimony. And so central to them, uh, to, to these, uh, to its function, that the ark itself was called the, the ark of the testimony. It's from, from these tablets that it gets those names. Uh, the ark which uh, signified God's holy presence with his people had in the heart of it God's holy law. 
Now, these two tablets have covenant significance. In, in, in ancient times, when a king would conquer a people, he would write down two copies of the laws that uh, they were to keep, uh, one copy for himself, one copy for them. Uh, and this was to officiate, to, to, to make clear the, the relationship between him as the, the new king that they would have and them as his people. And so here we have that covenant imagery here, but with a twist. Here, God, God kept both copies. God uh, here is showing that he is supremely allegiant and supremely concerned about his holy and righteous law. It's, it's, it's in the heart of this box. It's, it's, it's what, it's what uh, this glorious box is wrapping is his law. And uh, thus the, the more common name, uh, you know, Ark of the Testimony, we, we, we often refer to it as the Ark of the Covenant, uh, that's because uh, God is uh, having the, this, these copies as a covenant God, as, as one who relates to his people. And yet, uh, this, this also shows in, in many ways the, the glory of, uh, of, of God having this box with his law, uh, showing that uh, there's something about this that, that is central to, how, to that covenant relationship, how we relate to God. Uh, is, God is holy. God is always going to love his ways. God is always righteous. It's as if uh, his throne is, is, has its foundation on his holy law. We'll come back to that then as we consider, continue to look in this, in, at these things. So first, uh, it was, uh, it's uh, materials and decoration. Second, it's uh, contents. And now it's transport. That is, how did you move this thing? Uh, there are several verses here given to how it was to be transported. Uh, that is, uh, this was important to God, not just uh, how it was made, but how you, how you used it, how you carried it around. And this should not be surprising, uh, one, that they would need to transport it, uh, because the tabernacle itself is a tent. The temple, which would come later, was a stable place, so, uh, you know, brick and mortar, you know, it's not going to move around. But the tabernacle was to be moved around as Israel was going into the promised land. And so the, ta- the, the, the tabernacle is intentionally mobile. You've got to find a way to move the ark as well. And so God specified uh, that it was to be carried uh, although he did, he did mention here that the ark has feet, and that's not that the ark is to walk itself wherever it wanted to go. Uh, no, these feet were to show how important, again, the ark and its contents were. That is, that this ark, as glorious as it is, when you're carrying it around, you're not just to lay it in the dust. The feet elevated this box off the ground. And notice uh, that connected to these feet, God commanded rings to be placed. Through the rings were poles to be inserted, also all of it gold-plated, all of it uh, with this uh, acacia wood. Uh, and so when the ark was moved, it was to be carried on poles on the shoulders of Levites. So important was this fact that God said never to remove the poles. This ark was always to be on the go. There was never to be the possibility that the priest might mistakenly slip up while inserting the poles and accidentally touch God's ark. No, the poles stay in the, in the rings. Why would God specify all this? Well, for one, it is because the ark itself was three feet tall and when it was carried on shoulders, it was to be above their heads. The ark was to be the throne of God. He was to be treated with respect even while moving his ark. 
Numbers 5 tells us that when the ark was moved, it was to be covered with a veil, uh, that no one could even, you weren't even to look upon the ark as it was being moved. And so you can think of, uh, you know, some of the, maybe you have a Bible illustration and there's those priests carrying the ark. Well, the illustrations usually get it wrong because you can see the ark. <laughs> it was actually covered. So precious was this. And they would sing, let, the, let God arise and shatter his enemies. God is so holy even the throne beneath his feet was, was not to be looked at by mortal men. And that is further emphasized in the poles themselves. God's ark was not to be touched by mere men. Even holy men in holy robes who are anointed with holy oil. God is holy. Friends, do you realize that the holiest men uh, of that time could only touch the poles, which touched the rings, which touched the feet, which touched the ark? They were four degrees removed from even touching this thing. The dirt floor that the feet sat upon had closer access to touch God's holy ark than did his priests. What we should take away from this is that our God is holy, holy, holy. Even by the the picture of this thing, even though you didn't get to see it, what you read about it and what you knew about it told you that our God is holy. And friends, if he is this holy, how will this God dwell with man? How will this God who is sovereign, who is holy, who is righteous, how will he be also present to dwell in the midst of a nation that that sins daily in thought and word and deed? And so that brings us to, we've talked about its contents, let's talk talk about its, its transport, let's talk about its use. The ark was to be transported only occasionally as God led his people from Sinai to the promised land, but it did have a regular use. It wasn't a very frequent use, but it was nevertheless, this is, this is what you, ha- you do again and again with this ark. And, and it was annual. Uh, 360, uh, three, 364 days of the year, the ark was to be shut up in the Holy of Holies, bl- blocked by the curtain. No one gets to see it. It's hidden, let left alone in the most holy place. But on one day of the year, uh, the high priest was to go in that place. And yet even before he was able to go inside and look on the ark, he was told to burn incense. Particularly, Leviticus 16.13 says that that incense is to cover the mercy seat that is over the testimony so that he does not die. Think of it, dear ones. All that beautiful gold and trim and hammered work representing angelic figures, the very throne of God, not for the eyes of men to see. Not even for the high priest to see. On the one day he actually does something, he actually goes into the room where it is. This is how holy God is. That even to look upon his throne would put you to death. And dear ones, this is not an idle threat either. Men did die because of this holiness. You can think of Nadab and Abihu. And so how did the high priest go in there? Well, the same uh, uh, instructions that tell us that he's to go in there once a year, it tells us that he is to go with blood. The use that was regularly made of this ark was to sprinkle the mercy seat with blood. And what was envisioned was that the transgressions The sins of the people collected over the cover of the ark 
What is that saying? What is this picture meant to communicate to them and to us? It is to say that our sins are not merely horizontal. They're not just uh, mistakes. They're not just the things that we offend other people. Our sins are primarily against a holy God. God is offended by them. It's as if our sins are, 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 are an offense against his holy throne. And so, how do you deal with that? How did God plan to deal with that? Well, it is why by the shedding of blood, God required atonement. And so the function of this ark was not merely to house those Ten Commandments, was not merely to be the throne of God where he would dwell in the midst of his people. It was the place where atonement of all places, this is where the atonement for sin was pictured every year by the high priest, even hidden by the, 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 the fumes of the incense. This was the picture that God wanted to have on the minds of his people, is that for your sins, which are heinous in God's holy sight, that, that, that for that, nothing less than the shedding of blood, nothing less than an, an innocent victim bleeding itself out was required for propitiation. Now, yes, I just used a big word, propitiation, but, but that's, that's, that's how God has revealed his glorious gospel in words such as that. Propitiation is a covering. It's a covering of, of sin in order that God would look at you with favor. And that word propitiation or covering uh, Greek is the word hilastrion, is the same word that God uses to describe the mercy seat. This covering of the box is the propitiation. It is, uh, he, that's what we, where we, we, we read from earlier, Hebrews 9, 5. Uh, or the reading of from, ex, or from uh, Romans chapter 3, He's a propitiation. It's this language because this was the place of where that propitiation happened, that sprinkling of blood, that appeasing for all the sins of the people against their holy God in their midst. Paul says that Jesus Christ was put forth as a propitiation by his blood. Friends, this is, this is where the ark, even though it was in the Old Testament, it was for the Old Testament worship. This is where the ark continues to teach us and how we relate to God. Because, dear one, you and I, we are still sinners. Daily in thought, word, and deed, how can God dwell in the midst of us? How can God be in our midst? God is still this holy, His law is still holy and righteous and good. Sin is still offensive to him. Therefore, we can only have peace with God, not by our bridging the gap, but by his making propitiation. Jesus entered the heavenly holy of holies with his blood speaking a good word for us. Now, friend, I know these, these themes of God's holiness, of our sin and his mercy in Christ may seem repetitive as, we, as we've been going through Exodus, as we continue to go through Exodus, uh, but that's necessary. I want you to think of Israel. Israel, at this point in their, in their lives, they have been soaked in Egyptian paganism. God needed to remind them, I'm holy. And yes, the sin needs to be dealt with. God needed these things to be crystal clear for them. And friends, are we any better? Are we not soaked in today's uh, today's uh, 
false ideologies. Today's uh, many lies that are just spread about as the ways that people think about themselves, the ways they think about God. We need to be reminded who God is. We need to be reminded of who we are. We need to be reminded of this is how we have access to him. To him who is holy, to him who sits on the throne, to him whose law is righteous, to him who is against our sins is most offensive. That we needed the shed blood of the Lamb, of Jesus Christ. And so in that light, I'd like to look, uh, lastly, at the ark, not only in its construction, its transport, its use, uh, but also its abuse. But I'm, I'm noticing I'm out of time. I'm, there's just so much here. What a, what a glorious picture that God gave. Could you come up with a better picture? No, none of us could. Because God wanted to communicate He's sovereign. He's holy. And yet, dear ones, he is merciful. And so let's remember that. That's the center of where God begins to describe his dwelling with his people. And that's got to be central for us. As we understand Jesus Christ, us us dwelling, knowing God through Jesus Christ today. This same truth, this same God, who is sovereign, who is holy. And yet to us has shown mercy in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. A gracious God and Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for uh, these pictures that you gave your people then. And Lord, we're not above needing pictures. Uh, Lord, we, we, we need to be reminded of these uh, as you've written about them. Lord, we don't need to make another ark. Uh, Lord, we have what's far better in Jesus Christ. And so Lord, uh, as angels long to look at these things, uh, Lord, thank you that you have revealed them. You've revealed your son, Jesus Christ, and the salvation that's in him. Lord, thank you that Jesus had your law written on his heart. Uh, Thank you that he uh, was righteous for our sakes. And Lord, thank you that his sprinkled blood speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Lord, help us to not be unchanged by this. Lord, that we hear of your holiness, we hear of our sin, and, and we walk away and we forget who we are. Lord, bring fruit. Lord, shape us by this to love mercy, to love your holy throne and to rejoice in you in the salvation that you've given us in the Lord Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen.